Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I miss you, man. I miss you, man. I miss you, Julian. Oh, I miss you, Lonnie. Oh, and Dylan. No, Dylan. Dylan. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm just terrible at that. I miss you. I miss you, man. Do I miss you? I miss you, man. I miss you. I miss you, man. Do I miss you? Hello there. Welcome to another episode of a podcast called I Miss You, Man. My name is Lonnie. My co-host... Well, maybe I'm his co-host, Dylan. How you doing, mate? Oh, I'm doing doing amazing, mate. Couldn't be better. How about you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well too. I'm very excited about today's episode. Uh, what is this show about again, Dylan? Remind me. Well, Lonnie, it's about you and me taking each other on a journey each week that could be about anything. Life, pop culture, everything in between. Every single thing. So... On another podcast I listen to, they um, sometimes have a guest host, and when he's on the episodes, he jokes that the only episodes with him, they're the only official ones, or the canon episodes, and in a lot of ways, Dylan, I think that's kind of true with our podcast too, it just feels right and proper when we've got Julian Barr on as a guest, and everything else is expanded universe sort of stuff. Julian, how you doing, mate? Thanks for being here again. Yeah, I'm good, man. Um, thanks for having me. It, it's nice to have the third of our throuple, you know? <laughs> hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> yeah, Julian, it's always great when you're here, but especially when you've brought us a topic, which you've done today, the, uh, the concept of canon, I guess in pop culture, but in storytelling in general. Um, I, I think I know why this has come up. Julian, I'm going to put a question to you. Go ahead. Did this topic come up because you're really concerned that Star Wars have retconned the music that's in the cantina? They're not calling it Jeers oh. anymore. Didn't know this. I whoa, did not whoa, know whoa. this. When did this happen? Just just recently, they've 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 got rid of all the Jeers. There's a sentence I never thought I'd hear you say, Lonnie. <laughs> well, I I thought that's what you you were mad about, Julian. I thought you wanted to come on here and and talk about the Jeers, but maybe not. Well, clearly. Actually, it was a George Lucas thing um, that got me thinking about this. It was our last special with Indiana Jones. Mm. Um, uh, I think it was yourself, Lonnie, you said, oh, they're kind of cool, they're kind of interesting, but they're not canon for me. And (laughs) my, my, my initial response was, oh, but George Lucas says they are. And then I sort of stopped myself and went, you have, you have some clever ideas and clever comebacks sometimes, Julian. That was not one of them. Um, it's a lot more complicated than that. Mm, interesting. And and that, that obviously that, that stayed with you, didn't you? You wanted to, to, to thrash it out some more with us. Oh, absolutely. I'm just curious as to what you guys think. It's such a big thing with pop culture at the moment. Mm. Um, 
retcons, reboots, reimaginings. How many versions of Batman do we need? Why are there oh. so many films about Batman? <laughs> it's a good question. Now, I, I went back and looked at canon. So I, I've known the concept of canon. I think it's one of those things you sort of, if you're a bit nerdy like we are, you sort of intuitively know what it means, right? But also thinking about other concepts of this of this term. So canon, talk about like the canon of literature, these um, important English literature works that we need to, to read to, to know what's happened before. These are like the, the very best works that inform other writing. Um, Wikipedia, our, our friends and partners of Wikipedia, they say canon <laughs> is the body of works taking place in a particular fictional world that are widely considered to be official, authoritative, uh, especially those created by the original author or developer of the world. And they contrast this with um, work that is fan fiction or other sort of derivative works. I think that's um, it's quite interesting. And if you're a, a writer like Julian and I are, or, or someone like Dylan, who is very a very keen, well-read fan, I think that sort of concept makes sense. It's all the things that have actually take place in the work of, of fiction. And I think it's also come into the mainstream recently in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, where they, there's an actual pop plot point where they, they spoke about the canon events that all that are key to a, a Spider-Man in any sort of multiverse universe. The canon event of their life is that you know, they're bit by a spider. They have someone close to them who's a, who's a policeman die. They've got an uncle or other relative who passes away and that helps inspire their journey. So I think it's coming, coming more to the fore. And I think, Julian, what you're saying there as well about like how many Batmans do we do we need in the in the world? I think audiences are getting more used to the idea of okay, so that one's canon, that one's been left behind. Um, when we bring back the other Batmans, now they're on the multiverse. Like it, it's sort of it's it's not becoming such a nerdy thing; it's becoming a mainstream thing. Um, is there anything yeah. else you want to say to that now? Yeah, it's. The concept of a canon really starts with religion. Um, uh, if you've got a people of the book, um, which books are officially uh, part of the Bible, for example. Or, um, mm. And sometimes in early Christianity, uh, early Christian writers would refer to books that are, would later not be considered canon. Um, uh, things like the, the super weird... Um, uh, the Gospel of uh, Gospel of Thomas, uh, the references to Jesus as a kid, um, the uh, the apocalypse, the, the description of hell in the Apocalypse of Peter, which man, if you want something to keep you up at night, read that. Um, yeah, and I guess it strikes me in some ways when when nerd like nerds can go full you know, toe-to-toe -to -toe on the concept of canon and advance incredibly adva complicated arguments as to their criteria of what's canon and what's not. Uh, and it strikes me as if almost having the quality of a religious debate. Um, yes. And sometimes the arguments can get just as ugly as in a religious debate. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I I can definitely see where you're coming from, there, Julian. And it's crazy to think that they were like retconning 
um, gospels from the Bible, but I guess they were in some ways. Eh? Indeed. Um, uh, uh, Dylan, can I bring you in now? What, what do you what do you think of when you think of canon and retcons and that sort of thing? Yeah, just basically, it's it's all part of the overall narrative. It's the important stuff that you need to be concerned about. Mm. That's okay. what canon means to me. I um I think of it too in terms of the big um, pop culture uh, franchises that we have, Star Wars, Doctor Who, those things that have a a large nerd following Star Trek as well, where um there is like a main version. So there's the main Star Wars films, there's the main Doctor Who show, there's the various films and television uh, projects in the Star Trek universe. But there's also so many other things like comic books and, and novels and video games and whatever. So I think inherently there's a hierarchy. I don't know about you guys. When I was a kid, we had, you know, the six Star Wars movies of the main series. And they, that felt to me like I, I knew those were the ones that were real, right? And I read a book in a, um, in a used sort of book, right? And somehow I knew that this was... This was official, but wasn't quite official. <laughs> um, but now, Julian, it seems like Star Wars, I think, have got themselves in a bit of a muddle trying to to um, differentiate what is real and what's not real in the Star Wars universe. Do you want to speak to that? You know, when, when I was a kid, um, <laughs> there were three official real Star Wars movies, wow. and th- there were some people who would argue that the prequels were not canon. Um there were some people who I, I will never forget when my older sister um, gave me a lengthy lecture, um, basically explaining that I am the only person on Earth who liked the Clone Wars and that I'm a bad person for liking it. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, the um, although it's interesting when the 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 expand Star Wars expanded universe stuff. Um, uh it was it was it was we were told this is official this is canon mm. and it was sold as this is the official continuation of the Star Wars universe um and i just loved it i loved the comics i loved Heir to the empire and the throne trilogy by timothy zane um and um they they were just amazing, and it was so rich because you could you, they had literally dozens of writers um, and worked very hard to keep the the various novels uh, consistent and to create a timeline. Um, and then you got the comics, the video games, and and then when Disney acquired Star Wars, acquired Lucasfilm. Um, they basically just went, yeah, nah, none of that counts. Um, sorry, all you nerds, you invested time and your and your stupid mm. feelings into the Star Wars expanded universe. None of it's real. Um, Although they and, did keep the best thing, which was the Clone Wars animated series. They that's did right true. <laughs> well, they kept one Clone Wars animated series, but not the other. They didn't keep the. Uh, 2D uh, Jende Tatarovsky um, micro series, which was awesome. Yes, that's true. That is true. Yeah, I forgot about that. It is a good one. Uh, um, 
I was actually really upset about that, to be honest. Um, when the I mean, you can you can kind of we'll, we'll get into it. But you can kind of head canon that all that kind of still happened, to be honest. Yeah, you can, and uh, I, I I do, to be honest. Um, and that's no insult to the two thousand and eight Clone Wars series, which is awesome. Uh, but it's interesting though, because with the Star Wars sequel trilogy. It seemed like the approach was very much we want to recapture what was special about the original trilogy and we want it all to be fresh and new and um, everything that's old is new again kind of approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and they seem to have sw- kind of come full circle in some ways because a lot of stuff from that, uh, the old Heir to the Empire stuff, uh, the old expanded universe seems to be creeping its way into um, the canon again uh, through things like Ahsoka um, and uh, the character of Thrawn. Uh, and the approach is almost, it's actually quite become quite similar to Marvel um, uh, in that they, they, they want to create um, a new story and they're at liberty to do basically whatever they like but they're still adapting um material that already exists mm. um and using it in a new way which in some ways is exciting and in some ways it's it's um a little bit rehashing to be honest yeah well i wonder what if you're a, a massive fan of those of those books and it sounds like you are julian are, are you excited when you see that or do you think it's like, well, I've got the books. I want to watch something new now. It feels like you're just, and you're not really, you're not exactly recreating it. You're just taking bits and pieces. It feels like a bit of a hodgepodge. What's what's your thought then for these new Star Wars? Um, I'm always excited the first time I see it. Um, I'm excited <laughs> right. when I'm like, I get the 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 the, the geeking out when when they introduce Thrawn. Um, back to the Star Wars continuity, because um, he's a great villain. Um, he's kind of—he's not a dark sider. He's not a force user. He's just a methodical chess player, um, and uh, a very cold, calculating mind um, with no malice and no compassion either. Uh, and that actually makes him a very interesting villain. Uh, but once that initial excitement wears off, you're kind of left with the reality that you kind of know what's coming. Yeah. Which, it takes some of the fun out of it for me, but I also acknowledge that maybe, maybe the hardcore nerds are not the ones that the movies are being, or shows are being made for anymore. Well, um, indeed, for... you can't be chasing just a, a small portion of your audience, even though they're quite integral you can't if you want to make money if you want to reach a, a wider audience you can't just be obsessed with those fans yeah ah look i don't know i think to a lot of younger fans they're going to be seeing all of this for the first time mm. and to them it will be you mm. um and uh it's a strange thing i think that they kind of can't win <laughs> if mm. they if they draw upon the previous material, then um, uh, they'll make a certain generation of fans happy in certain respects, but they also kind of restrict themselves uh, 
in, in some ways. Um, but look, I'm, I've just kind of gotten to the point where when it comes to Star Wars, I just kind of go with it. Um, <laughs> and just, just look for things to enjoy. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. You say that in my research for this episode, I'm looking at, um, headcanon, which we'll get into that concept in a second, but it's, it's the idea of, um, fans can, can sort of pick and choose what they think should be canon, what should be real to this fictional world. And for Star Wars, there are fans who sort of have dropped off at various points. And in the main movies, that that might mean they didn't like the sequel trilogy or they liked some of the sequel trilogy. We don't have to rehash The Last Jedi, but that was obviously very divisive and some fans love it and some fans thought that was the time where they are going to drop Star Wars altogether. Um, the prequel trilogy, obviously, has been very well litigated about <laughs> fans like that or not. But even, apparently, some people go back, they just like the first movie. Everything after that is nonsense. The whole Luke, come your father stuff, they think that was when it dropped off. <laughs> or maybe mm -hmm. the next movie they didn't like, Return of the Jedi. So, yeah, you can't win <laughs> in some ways with Star Wars. Um, I thought... Today we could look at some some sort of guiding questions. We've already sort of done that already with Star Wars, but um, just as we speak, and we maybe speak about this in various ways. I wonder how important do we think canon is in fiction, and what are the the pluses, the negatives, the advantages, the affordances. Um, one thing in particular I want to talk about is the blurring of the lines when fans become involved with their official stories. Um, we could speak about J.J. Abrams in Star Wars, but we might want to talk about some of the Doctor Who writers of the new series because obviously that was a reboot and when people were writing the new series, they were fans from when they were a kid and now they're writing the official new stuff. And that, that kind of interests me about um, certain writers have, have gotten to the writer's chair for Doctor Who and have decided to change things to what they think is right, sometimes successfully, sometimes um, quite unsuccessfully. And I think, in general, are we too obsessed with this? Should we be like Julian, who just summed it up quite nicely, just sort of go with the flow? Dylan, do you want to, do you want to respond to any of that as we begin? No, let's just go through them and we'll, we'll talk as we go. All right. Well, I've got some examples of retcons that I might want to go through. Um, I've got some other case studies to talk about. But, uh, Dylan, you're a big Batman fan, right? Ooh. I like to think so. I like to think so. <laughs> One of the things about Batman is that he never uses a gun, does he? Never. Not once. Ever. In his whole history. That's that the, try and tell me he did. That's very core and, and it's integral, crucial, imperative to his character that he doesn't use guns, right? Absolutely. Couldn't even dream of it. He he did use a gun though, a few times, Dylan. Especially at the beginning of his heavy <laughs> run. <laughs> Oh, no. Has that changed everything for you? No. No. He's a good boy. And he, he, he has... I can think of an instance where he has used a gun. Mm. In in Dark Knight Returns, he has to use a gun to escape from the police. So. Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting that that is something I think a lot of us are very... Um, we tied up in that, that, that Batman world. He doesn't use guns. He doesn't kill people. Although... <laughs> At least on screen, he's killed a lot of people over the years. Absolutely. Yeah. But there's the maniac mm -hmm. in the bloody Keaton movies, especially. 
I remember um, in, th- in the thirties, um, Batman killed people a lot. That was that was just his thing. It was uh, before Robin came along. Um, he would just basically, you know, start a fire and let them burn. Um, <laughs> Jesus, he, <laughs> the bloody Punisher. Yeah. yeah. So that that's one interesting to me to start off with, like. That is something people know about Batman. That that's pushed by some of the movies. It's you know very, very much so in the Batman Begins. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to. I'm going to have to save you, sort of thing. But um, yes, there are examples in Batman's past where that is not the case. So this idea of what's canon, well, what works for the story, I guess, is the main thing there. Um, Julian, um, can I ask you a question, yeah. Julian? Sorry, did. What oh about God. this, Julian? Midichlorians and Star Wars, if we go back to the Star Wars universe, what do you think of those? I accept that there's a pseudoscientific rationale behind how the Force works. Mm-hmm. Do, do I care? No. Um, <laughs> does it change my understanding of how the Force works? Not really. Um, I always think of the Force as basically being in the zone, you know? Um, You know that feeling when you're playing a video game and you kind of lose yourself and you're so into it that Mm. you don't know where you end and the game begins and the game seems to be playing itself and you're playing so ridiculously well that you just cannot do anything wrong. Uh, It's really hard to achieve that state um, and some pro gamers can do it. uh, because they've trained themselves to do that. For me, that's what the force is. That's what the fo- that's what it's like to use the force. Uh, mm. This awareness of being of everything around you and being totally in the moment. Um, do I does microscopic organisms? Yeah, okay, they're there. Um, yeah, who cares? I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I was um, fairly young when I saw the Phantom Menace for the first time. I didn't I didn't see any problem with that. And I was like, oh, okay, so someone who's very in tune with the Force, they're going to have more of these sort of microorganisms in their blood or, or around them somehow. And that made sense to me. I didn't didn't think it was a problem. Well, yeah, we just accepted it. I didn't realise until much later that it was a, a big issue. Where do you land on it, Dylan? Um, I mean, I'm like you, it's all we knew when we were little. Um, now that I'm more, you know, knowledgeable of the Star Wars universe, I still don't mind it. I think it's fine. I think, um, even kind of speaks to the downfall of the Jedi a little bit, that they're trying to, you know, scientifically explain this mystical Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. That can make sense. I I guess the argument against it, maybe you can speak to it more, Julian, but... It was the idea is that it, it is this mystical um, element, the force, and that trying to put a number on it and then getting power levels demystifies it to a point where you've totally missed the point of what the force is. And what's interesting there is that it wasn't some some new version of a reboot of a Star Wars trying to bring that, but you know the actual creator George Lucas put that in there. So does that mean he misunderstood his initial interpretation or? Or was he doing that on purpose? I'm not really sure, to be honest. What do you reckon, Julian? 
you're asking the wrong person um, when it comes to understanding what George Lucas's intentions were, because I, I'm not convinced that he knew what he was doing, to be perfectly blunt with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that in the movie, the midi-chlorians are basically there to, uh, a as a way to signal that Anakin is special, um, and that he's more powerful in the Force than any other, and we need to get there quickly, and it's just convenient that they can just scan his blood and see, wow, uh, apparently the, the Queen's ship has a, a scanner that looks for midichlorians yeah, for some reason. Um, I, I think that's okay. I think maybe you're right, Julian. It was, it was, that concept was invented by that scene in particular, and then George Lucas like, let's move on, and the fans have, have hung up on it, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, look, to be honest, I'm quite uh, I'm quite okay with midichlorians okay. Um, as a concept. I don't think that they should govern the story. Um, I'm sorry to relitigate The Last Jedi, but one of the reasons that I love the fact that Rey came from nowhere was it kind of brought it back to the idea that the Force is in everyone and that mm. anyone can be a Jedi if they believe in themselves. Mm. Um, and with strength and mastery, um, well, study and practice, they can achieve mastery. And then that got thrown out the window in the next movie because, no, actually, we're back to the idea that it's all how you're born. Yeah, uh, that's disappointing and... That, I guess that is a very good example of what's canon is that was a, a concept in that was raised in one movie, answered in the next movie, and then changed all, all of a sudden in the third movie. And and I think that is something that some fans, who maybe are more on the casual side, are like, well, if you're going to change it every movie, why should I care? If you guys don't even know what you're talking about, if you're going to change it to be whatever's convenient for you, then what's the point? Yeah. And this is why I've just basically come to the point where I just sit back and I just try to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess I, I look at sort of uh, ancient Greek mythology or mm. Norse mythology or, um, and, you know, there were many different versions of some things from Greek mythology, even within the Iliad, um, within one text, we get two completely contradictory versions of how Hephaestus, the, the god of the forge, uh, how, what, why he's got a gumpy leg. Um, mm. uh, in one version, he was born with a twisted foot, and in one version, um, he was thrown from heaven uh, trying to save his mother from Zeus. Um, and both versions are in the story, and the Greeks were quite happy to accept both were true. Um, and um, I think that the Greek approach was to say, well, actually, maybe there are many different facets to the gods, and maybe there are many different ways to understand the story, and in mm. some sense, all of them are true. Uh, I look at Robin Hood is another great example. Um which is the definitive version of Robin Hood? Uh, there have been dozens of movies, many, many novels, um, many, many 
poems, you know what the only thing that remains consistent about Robin Hood is? He uses a longbow. <laughs> and he wears green. Mm. That's it. Mm. That's that's literally the only thing that stays the same in every version of the story. And I guess I've kind of come to the point where I kind of just decided to just relax and accept that the story's not real and appreciate it for what it is, which is a story. Yeah. Well, I think maybe that's where we, with um, Star Wars, that's our sort of our topic so far, we're in a sort of a transitionary period potentially in the Star Wars uh, pop culture landscape where they are still trying to clamp down and, and talk about... So this stuff is legends. This stuff is real. Um, we're bringing these characters back into the to live action when they used to be cartoons and whatnot. Um, but you know, a hundred, two hundred years down the line, there could be all sorts of Star Wars stuff all left. Then some of it as exists all the way through. Maybe the thing that exists is that they've all got lightsabers and they're in spaceships. And that's the only thing that's real to Star Wars. But at the well, moment, they're still trying to to really say this stuff is real or not. You know. What I love, my favourite thing to come out of the Disney era is uh, Visions, um, where they went to animation studios initially in Japan and then expanded it to be all over the world, where they basically just went to them and said, just go for it. Whatever Star Wars story you want to come up with, because not, it's not canon. Um, and there are some wonderfully imaginative stuff that's come out of that. Um and it's so joyful because it's not trying to fit in with anything else. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's, 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 that's a good point. And I think um, some of the Star Wars stuff, and it happens to other things too, but like like trying to fill the gaps about everything, that, that's been a bit of a problem with me in Star Wars. Like I didn't even know how Han Solo got his name or his whole outfit. That was... <laughs> That's a bit silly. Because he's by himself, on me. isn't that great to know? <laughs> but even like Rogue One, I, I I didn't like to be honest. I've only seen it the once. Maybe I'd like it more on a rewatch. But I thought the whole concept of having to explain how the um, Death Star could be blown up and how we got the plans out was unnecessary. I thought it was okay not knowing that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something we'll get into more. We talk about Doctor Who in a moment. Um, so, so maybe, yeah, just throw out the, the, the Bible and just tell us some interesting stories in this universe rather than trying to explain every single thing that occurs. Um, do you mind if we move away from Star Wars, fellas? Is that okay? That's probably best, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, one last thing. I'm going to have a final word, if that's okay. With Star Wars, <laughs> I, think, I think one thing that could, could um, help that sort of approach you're speaking of is the fact that it's, you know, set a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So the idea of these stories not making sense or there's differences, that that kind of does have an in-universe explanation. Um, and even more to the point, Obi-Wan Kenobi says that was true from a certain point of view. So even he's like, yeah, the story you tell is is the, the important one, not necessarily the, the things that actually occurred. Um, Julian, you want to say something to that? Sorry, I go. I oh, no, no. It, it reminds me of... Um... I I like Dungeons and Dragons, and I really like the the Dragonlance books. Um, basically, the authors wrote six really good books, which were intended to be a complete story, 
Um, but it was very, very successful. And they didn't own the intellectual property. Uh, it was owned by TSR, the parent company. Mm. Um, and TSR basically went, yeah, you know what? This was successful. It's making us money. We need more of it. Um, and they ended up hiring literally dozens of writers to produce about 200, and I'm not exaggerating, 200 books um, set in the Dragonlance universe. Um, eventually, uh, the, author, the original authors did come back and they kind of looked at all this stuff that had been written and went, there is no way we can reconcile all of this and other authors have taken our characters in, in directions that we never intended. And so what they ended up doing was, um, they retconned it so that each book in the Dragonlance universe is a work of fiction from within that universe. <laughs> um, and uh, they basically had a little preface uh, at, the, at the start of the book and said, um, uh, if you've enjoyed um, the heroes of the Lance were so famous that people wrote all kinds of crazy stories about them. Some of them were true. Some of them weren't. Some of them were close to being true. Um, but what really matters is whether or not you enjoyed them. Um, now sit down, shut up, and let us tell you some more stories. Um, <laughs> which I thought... Elegant solution? Yeah. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. Uh, there's real joy in that. <laughs> that was nice. Um, okay. Star Wars done and dusted. Dylan, I'm going to set you up here, okay? To okay. Um, answer our initial question, how important is canon and what are the advantages or disadvantages of it? What do you think, Dylan, when we've got a, a long-running franchise which has a new edition and the filmmakers are very clear when they come out and they're like, okay, so we like the first movie, maybe the second movie, the other ones were shit. So we're going to pretend they didn't happen. My movie is a sequel to the ones that are good. I'm thinking Superman Returns um, in the mid-2000s where they decided sure. to forego Superman 3 and 4. I'm like, yep, yeah, we're going to um, be a sequel to the good Supermans from the 80s. Um <laughs> Even the Terminator films have, have played with that in the last couple of years. They're like, yeah. okay, pick and choose which ones that are good. You guys like the first two? That's right. We're doing those ones. That That's, that's our direct sequel is going to forego those. Um, and various um, horror franchises sort of pick and choose what they, what they think is real. Do you think that is a good thing, bad thing? What do you reckon, Dylan? Uh, no, I think you need to be accept everything or accept nothing. You can't just pick and choose what's canon and what's not. Either just go with what's pre-established and just own up to the bad things because there's every chance that what you're making is going to be bad too, just mm. like Terminator. Mm. There are only two good Terminator films and that <laughs> has remained since Terminator 2. Even though there are seven films on me right now. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly and right. A, yeah. And a surprisingly good TV series that no one seems to remember. Yes, I, exactly. I've, I've actually got that on DVD. Somehow, but I haven't watched it yet. I need to get into that. Um, it was it was actually really good. Yeah, okay. I, I liked it. Okay, I'm keen. Uh, I, I think um I think you're you right there, Dylan. So would you suggest what Julian is is suggesting is sort of if you're making a new thing in a in a franchise, just sort of 
don't 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 try and say yes we sequel to this just sort of it's a new thing if you like the stuff in the past it can kind of work don't don't, don't be trying to be too prescriptive potentially yeah i just i think don't box yourself in because it's getting to the point i don't want to go back to star wars but there's very little left for them to pick apart like between episodes three and four it's starting to get pretty sparse in there mm. and now between episodes six and seven that's like all they're doing now so You're right. yeah i, I, I think I, you just need to be loose with it i think um i think that's right julian what do you think about star wars <laughs> i know we're gonna be on for it but just very quickly <laughs> Um, there's like thousands and thousands of years, but we're obsessed with this like, you know, 50 year period, aren't we in Star Wars? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious as to this new film that's about the origins of the Jedi. Um, I'm curious about this new era where Rey is founding a new Jedi order. Um, Mm. I'm glad that they are finding that they are trying to find new new things that they can do with it. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, all Star Wars is good. All Star Wars is special, especially the bad ones. Like, <laughs> oh, the Star Wars Holiday Special is just amazing. Um, if you've ever seen it, I haven't. Seen, yeah. I've watched some videos. Um, it is madness going into it. But I haven't ever sat down and watched the whole thing. Poor Carrie Fisher is off her face yeah. for half of it. <laughs> uh, and she and sings. Poor Mark Hamill just had bloody plastic surgery yeah. for his car crash. He looks like a bloody yeah, yeah, fresh out of plastic surgery. Basically. Poor fella. Yeah, yeah. And Harrison Ford very clearly wants to kill whoever <laughs> is behind the camera. Whatever the contract is that makes him be there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. do we count that as canon? I mean. No, I don't think anyone does. I think that's like the first thing that was disavowed <laughs> as canon, right? That's correct, and yet, and yet there are references to it in the um, in the Mandalorian. <laughs> mm. Yeah, um, day. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to bring in Doctor Who now. I know, Dylan, you haven't watched any or much Doctor Who, so it might be a bit difficult for you to fully engage, but we'll try and bring you in when we can. I'm well, gonna bring tell in... me if I'm wrong, mm. but from what I know about Doctor Who, everyone's favourite Doctor is either Matt Smith or David Tennant, and that's it. Am I correct? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Julian, what do you reckon? <laughs> it depends. Fans of a certain age might tell you that Tom Baker was the greatest thing ever, mm. um, but... Others, everyone's got their favourite Doctor. Um, I liked Matt Smith. Uh, I, I I fully believe that he is, in fact, an alien, that he was just method acting. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, yeah, Doctor... Sorry, go on. I would like to talk about Doctor Who in the context of the question about um, elevated fans they call them or you know elevated fanboys sometimes this blurring of the lines of um who can tell the official story because doctor who famously came back in 2005 it's had a couple of um a few showrunners now sort of head writers who've all put their stamp on the doctor who mythos and they were all fans when they were kids and they've sort of worked their way up in the industry to becoming in charge of doctor who and they've taken the opportunity to um, 
add to the mythos in certain ways. And I was thinking about this, Julian, you might want to be explaining it a bit more than, than I do, but there's a fairly controversial concept recently in Doctor Who land about the timeless child. And it kind of speaks to what we speaking about before about it. It fills in all this backstory about the Doctor, which has sort of been filled in over the years in bits and pieces, but was left ambiguous enough where this character was enough that we all sort of, I think people were comfortable with knowing enough about the Doctor, but this fills in even more gaps and, and adds new things that we didn't know. A lot of fans thought that was quite controversial. And from what I've read about it, I, I dipped out Doctor by this stage when this actually was on broadcast so I wasn't watching it but it kind of feels like it's it's wrong in some ways it's like changed things about Doctor Who for me but then I was thinking back and there were some things that happened in the Russell T Davies era the Stephen Moffat era which also have changed the character in a lot of ways like the whole time war aspect and the Doctor you know having girlfriends and stuff like that which is very different to previously but I don't, don't mind that and I think maybe it's just because I liked that sort of stuff, so I was okay with it changing the character fundamentally. This new thing I don't like, and so I'm like, no, you shouldn't change it, just you shouldn't bring in your own views from when you were a kid about Doctor Who. So I wonder if, Julian, you could maybe explain the timeless child and that sort of concept and why that's so controversial, and then give us your spin on on the concept of a, of a fan becoming a, a head writer who now has a sort of official view in writing the show. Okay. So to back up a little bit, um, Doctor Who's history goes right back to 1963, and um, it was originally um, the Doctor. There was there was, was old a crotchety old scientist um, and his granddaughter um, and uh, two school teachers. Um, flying around the universe in space and time, getting into all kinds of mischief um, uh, in a magic box uh, that's bigger on the inside than the outside. Um, when Doctor Who started, that's what the show was. And when uh, William Hartnell, uh, the actor, was, was... Unfortunately, he was quite elderly and he was having some serious health problems and it was clear that he couldn't be the title character anymore. Um, basically, the the executive producer went, wow, this is so successful, we can't just kill it because just because our leading man is no longer going to be in it. So we're just going to change the continuity so that he's actually an alien. And when it's time for the Doctor to die... Um, uh, his body regenerates. Um, he gets a new body that retains the memories of the old Doctor uh, and has a whole new personality. And this was magic. Like, this came out of nowhere. Um, for audiences in the 60s, they were like, what the hell is going on here? How can we have a different Doctor? Um... And eventually they just kind of settled back and accepted that that was just, that was now the premise of the show. Mm. Um, and over the decades, um, uh, various showrunners, uh, producers have, uh, every time that the Doctor regenerates, the show changes format often. Um, it can change uh, quite dramatically in some ways from a technical and budgetary perspective. Um, 
during the 60s to the 70s um, when the Doctor regenerated and suddenly the next season was in colour. <laughs> um, uh, and Doctor Who fundamentally then is a show that's designed to run and run forever. Um, and every single showrunner, every new Doctor, the show is designed to reinvent itself every five years or so. Um, and, of course, over the years, uh, there have been some pretty big glaring inconsistencies uh, as various different uh, writers and various different showrunners took over. Um, there's one point where the Doctor says, declares that he's actually half-human on his mother's side, um, and I think that every subsequent writer has just tried to pretend that that never happened. Um, in fact, they have a Dalek in, in the um, uh, 2005 season. Um, somebody says, oh, does that mean that these Daleks are half-human? And the Dalek turns around and says, those words are blasphemy! <laughs> Do not blaspheme! Um, yeah. So, to be honest, the concept of the timeless child and that whole era, like the concept that uh, of reworking the Doctor's origin story, basically what was done with the most recent Doctor, Jodie Whittaker, um, uh, a new storyline was introduced uh, where the Doctor discovers her ancient past that there were other Doctors previous to the first one that we never knew about, that the Doctor is not uh, um, not just any Time Lord, but is a creature from another universe, another dimension. Um, And, yeah, a lot of fans were very upset by this. Uh, And I kind of sat there and... I kind of went, you know what, I don't hate the concept, I hate the execution. Right, Um, so what was about the execution that you hated then, Julian? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Firstly, it was very confusing mm. um, the way that it was introduced. I um basically they run into another doctor who they've never who has never been met or referred to before um and um the doctor 
uh, uh, the, the concept is introduced through a lot of very weird and confusing um, montages and flashbacks that kind of info dumps the concept. Right. But then they just don't do anything with it. Mm. Um, basically, it completely revises the Doctor's backstory, but there is absolutely no impact on the front story whatsoever. And at the end, basically, the Doctor goes through this crisis of identity of, oh, I have all of these past lives that I don't know about. And then just goes, eh, I don't care. Um, yeah, and, it's a uh, fundamental change, isn't it, that should really rock you as a, as a person if you found that out about yourself. Right. And this was a problem that I have on a more general level with Chris Chibnall's writing, and this is a bit controversial, but in his, his era of The Doctor as a showrunner, He's actually really good at introducing characters and really good at introducing um, mysteries. They don't resolve. They just end. Mm. Um, uh, it was really frustrating when, um, uh, for example, characters um, just decide, well, I'm just leaving. I'm just leaving the TARDIS just because... Um, mm. and, uh, we're just told to believe that that's the end of their story. Um, there was a, a romance that was quite openly set up between the Doctor and Yaz, and a lot of fans were very excited by this because it was the first depiction of a lesbian relationship on the show. Um, and after all of this teasing, tantalising... Um, and the Jodie Whittaker, excuse me for spoiling, but in Jodie Whittaker's last episode, they basically, the two characters just, they go, they get an ice cream together, they shake hands, and then they walk away. And I'm like, what the hell, man? <laughs> I think this is, I never believed in the concept of queer baiting before this. Yeah. But this is just so... Uh, I, I couldn't believe it. I, so, but the other thing that really, like I said, it just, it changed everything, but kind of changes nothing. Mm. Um, it changed nothing about the con, the, 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 the concept of the show. And they, I think it was quite deliberately set up so that future writers can either run with it or just ignore it and pretend that it never happened. Um, yeah, well, I, and... I watched some videos today about fans um, either working it into their head canon, as we mentioned, or or just explaining how they were going to change it if they were a showrunner in the future. And, you know, maybe they will be one day, um, given yeah. that the current showrunners were fans at one stage. Yeah, it's interesting because it's a show with such longevity. Mm. Um, it's in its 60th anniversary this year, mm. and uh, the show is about to go through yet another reinvention. Um, with Disney fronting up the money uh, for the show now. And that's a huge change. Like, Doctor Who has always been done on a cheap and cheerful BBC budget. Um, <laughs> and now its budget is comparable to that of The Mandalorian. Oh, uh, wow. and... so, so, Julian, on, on that note, you're sort of talking about Doctor Who being around for so long and the only constant has been change over the years. 
I wonder if the reason this whole timeless child, this most recent era, has rubbed people the wrong way. Partly it's because you new know, people don't like change, that sort of stuff, and they accept things that have been around for a long time, even if they were controversial when they first came around. But I wonder if, if those other previous additions to the Doctor Who lore have felt to a certain degree consistent. You know, being an alien, Gallifrey, um, regeneration, you can sort of make sense after a while, and things that ride onto that down the track all sort of led to this consistent picture of, of who the Doctor is, or or can be, but then to fundamentally say, oh yeah, so that the time you invested in this character, by the way, there was a whole hidden secret you never knew, that that sort of does change things to such a fundamental level it doesn't feel like a consistent addition to the law. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think that, oh, look, there is, I'll be honest with you, there will always be people who are a bit sexist and mm. the real reason that they're angry is because for the first time we had a had a woman playing the Doctor. Jodie Whittaker's great. I have no problem with her. Um, and I actually really liked her as the Doctor. Um, but, yeah... And look, there had always, there had been a couple of hints along the way that the Doctor could have been had previous lives, um, uh, more by accident than design, and <laughs> it felt like an earnest, nerdy attempt to try to make everything make sense. In but they did it in a way that just achieved nothing and went nowhere. Mm. But. You know, there's a quote from Douglas Adams, like, your point about the, um, uh, 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 about, uh, uh, different generations having different, uh, understandings of things is, is a really valid one. Um, the Douglas Adams quote is about technology, but I think it's true of canon as well. Mm. Anything that's invented when you're between when you're 15 and 35 is new and exciting and revolutionary. And you can probably get a career in it, but anything in invented after you're 35 is against the natural order of things. <laughs> I think that's that's definitely um, true on canon about um, yeah my my childhood's ruined because of this new addition Doctor Who or, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're growing up, it's like oh cool a new thing in Doctor Who great I'm gonna go with it yeah. One of the strangest things to me. <laughs> We keep harping back to Star Wars, uh -oh. but um, the prequels were universal. Like, I, I could believe that they were universally hated um, mm. when they came out. Um, and one of the strangest things that have come has come out about the, the sequel trilogy was people reappraising them and saying that they were misunderstood masterpieces. Yeah. And I'm like, do you not find Jar Jar Binks annoying? Do you... Can, can, <laughs> No, it's, you... it's, it's a very um, good point. And I remember, Julian, I, I did some research. Um, well, it was part of my one of my readings when I was at uni about fan culture. I'm not sure what the class was now, but it was definitely something. And they were talking about how um, that the prequel trilogy came out around the same time as Lord of the Rings. And this was like an article directly comparing them. And it was like, what a terrible job George Lucas has done in adding to the Star Wars universe with these three movies that are terrible, 
but look what a great job Peter Jackson has done adapting and, and creating the Lord of the Rings universe and you know what we should give him all the money to make more Star Wars because he's doing such a good job and I remember that being so funny to me because around that time when I was reading the article the Hobbit trilogy was coming out mm -hmm. and that was being totally trashed at the time and now Peter Jackson was the one who was ruining people's childhood because he was making terrible Hobbit movies and now people are doing the same thing with the Rings of Power yeah it's um, a cycle yeah yeah, they go back and look at the Hobbit movies and like, actually, they were really good. <laughs> Crazy. Okay, we've done Star Wars, we've done Doctor Who. What I'll say about those two franchises is that they've sort of got reasons for why the timeline, the canon, the continuity can be a bit marked up. You've got Star Wars being, you know, a long time ago, going far, far away, mythology, that sort of thing. Doctor Who literally has time travel, so you can't really have a canon version of that because it can change all the time and sometimes they put even reasons they've got cracks in time you know that have taking away things and in general we've got a, a phrase wibbly wobbly timey-wimey they use in the show for every now and then if things are looking a bit too funky i want to bring you in dill i know you've been sitting there ready to talk about dc universe because that universe has had various rebirths and crisis events to try and work out the um continuity what do you think about those in the DC universe? How they they how they try and wrangle the multiverse? Uh, I don't agree because it's kind of like, um, especially in the New Fifty Two, they just kind of just picked what people liked and what they didn't, or mm. what they just wanted to use. They just kind of picked and choose what was canon and what was not anymore. And so before, I just don't agree with that. I think you should just have one large continuity. Well, just embrace the history. From, from what I read, though, Dylan, they, they tried to, to to bring in something like that because it was getting too unwieldy and there was too much continuity, so they were trying to streamline it. Do you reckon just, sure. just forget about it? Just just go with what works? I can, I can understand where that's coming from. I also don't think... I don't think comics should have just one big singular universe. I think they should just be once-off stories every yeah. week, to be right honest. On. I think that's where they work best. I don't need a long continuity where everything connects, you know, 50 million series. I don't need that. Just give me one-off stories because that's all people go back to now. They just go yeah. read the best story arcs from each character. It's a, it's definitely like, a barrier, isn't it, to entry to a to a new... Like, I love this character, absolutely. I'm going to go read it. Where do I start? There's like a million comics to read. What do I do? Absolutely. You don't go back and you don't read Batman from bloody 1980 to 2010. You go back and read his best stories. Mm. You go back and read The Dark Knight Returns. You go back and read The Long Halloween. Mm. You go and, and read these stories that just encapsulate these characters. And we're starting to see it swing back the other way in television as well. I mean... Um, a lot, well, I think one of the reasons that people really like um, uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds is that they ditched the concept of the season-long story arc and they just went for self-contained stories. Right, I'm so keen to watch that, Julian. I'm, I've, I've got it sort of ready to go, but I need to get a different streaming platform, so I need to time my, my, my run, if it hasn't worked, to <laughs> make the most of that streaming platform, the, the free trial, if you get what I mean. So that's that's more... <laughs> episode of the week sort of stuff like monster of the week or story of the week sort of stuff yeah yeah mm. they they found a really good balance in that they serialized the characters relationships um 
so that they can grow and develop as people. But yeah, basically, they'll have a problem, they'll have it resolved by the end of the episode. That's good. Uh, that's the problem with some of those um, Marvel shows, I think, that are on the various platforms, that they... It's a too long and doesn't you don't get resolved. They're just six hour movies. Yeah, exactly. Ah. Yeah. That's where I'm at with Marvel. Like I've seen a few Marvel movies here and there, but it's got to the point now where there are how many movies? Like thirty? Thirty plus, I think, yeah. Yeah. And now like I'm... a dozen more T V shows as well. I don't have time for that. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> now, what do you reckon, Julian, then, about about Batman? We'll come back to Batman that we started off with. Yeah. The, the fact that we've had so many Batmans in the past, and moving forward, it seems like we're going to continue with uh, Robert Pattinson in the Batman universe, but at the same time, we'll have another big-screen Batman in the main Gun, James Gunn universe. Are we going to be able to cope with two Batmans sort of happening at the same time on the big screen? Oh, some people will not care. They'll just... Your average Joe probably doesn't really give a shit, to be honest. <laughs> you think it's confusing, it's, uh... though, if you've got, like, hey, here's the new Batman movie, and also here's another Batman movie, but it's not the same Batman, but just live with yeah, it. Yeah. Do you reckon that'll be and okay? They've also, they've also brought in Michael Keaton, um, yeah. and... I um will we have George Clooney back as with the with the nipples on the bat suit? I hope so. Um Well we have that now. Currently canonically, he is our Batman right now, if you think about really? it. Really? Explain this to me. Well, he's at the end of the flash. He's now Batman. Oh right, Michael Keaton. No, no, George no. Clooney. He really? Makes, he makes a little appearance at the end of that movie. Spoiler yeah, he's now Bruce Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when you don't get... Oh, no. I actually like Daflick. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was one of about three people who liked Daflick. <laughs> yeah, you and me and, and Lonnie. You like him as I like Batman? him as Batman. Yeah, I feel like we he never got three? a proper run, you know? That's the problem. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. just wish that he could have gotten a good script. Yeah, um, exactly. Same as Cavill. Just wasted opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Cavill was so good. I wish that they could have had the lighter Superman. You know, mm. the, the, the charming yeah. gentleman schoolboy Superman. Um, Preaching the choir, Julian. We did a whole episode yeah. about this recently, Julian. You should yeah. get amongst that one for sure. I'm oh, sorry, I'm not up on the cannon. Um, <laughs> okay. No, yeah, no, we, we I, agreed. Yeah, go on. Oh. Do I look? I think that your average Joe is just Batman is Batman, um, and they just want to have a good time at the movies. Um, look, I and, and we've got the Robert Pattinson Batman. We've also got the Yorkine Phoenix Joker, um, mm, which mm -hmm. man, that was good. Like, you know why that was good? Because it was good. Because yeah. it was a good. It movie. was different. It was its own thing. It didn't have to worry about any canon or anything. Just exactly. Tell the story they wanted to tell. Exactly, and I, I just miss the days when they could just focus on doing one damn movie at a time, <laughs> um, and make a really good movie, and then if it's successful, um, make another good movie. Um, you know, one of the reasons that I think that Dungeons and Dragons, the movie, was so successful. 
maybe not hugely commercially, but critically, and the audiences seem to love it, is because the directors very emphatically said, we're not creating a franchise, we're right. just making a good movie. Mm. Yeah. Um, as far as Batman goes, look, I... Bat, again, Batman has been through so many changes, both cinematically, television... Oh, man, is the 1960s Batman a real Batman? Oh, yeah, of course. He told I me. say so. Yeah, I can say. You know, um, the more the better. Just make it good. No, that's a good point. Wow. I was being a little bit facetious there in my, are we going to cope with two Batmans? But I think there is a, a certain degrees that you potentially water down the um, impact of a Batman, if he's there's anyone can be Batman at screen at all times. We've got multiple Batmans running around, but yeah. I, I I do think about um, you know, yeah us here on this podcast and people listening and a lot of internet culture are very into casting and and thinking about these movies very years and ahead in advance. You know, we're worried about we think about it a lot. A lot of people will just be like, oh, is any Batman movie? I might go see that. And so to them, they don't really mind. And I, I think also about some research I read again when I was studying about like um, the number of times the average person goes to the movies, right? And mm-hmm. it gets skewed because some of us go every week and so that changes it. But like your average person, like your average dentist or whatever, they might go two or three times a year. So they're not as obsessed with this sort of stuff as we are. And so you're right, they might not care too much about which Batman this is. What made you pick dentists, by the way? I don't know. That's just... <laughs> what dentist hurt you, Lonnie? I like my dentist. He's a great guy, actually. Um, uh... But just, like, the concept of, like, if someone who's, like, working a, a regular job and <laughs> obsessed with this sort of stuff like we are, Yeah. they just want to have a good time with the movies. And if it's a good movie, they'll tell their friends and that, that might convince their friend to go. And so, you know, that they'll probably go see Barbie Oppenheimer, um maybe something else on a date night and then that's them done for the year but the rest yeah. of us get into internet fights about this sort of stuff they talk on a podcast for over an hour about canon do you know why barbie and oppenheimer were so successful at least partly mm. they weren't sequels yeah okay barbie they were both based on well oppenheimer was based on a non-fiction book um barbie is barbie of course mm. But you know what? They were different. They were two very different and very well-made movies. Yeah, and the, the promise was, hey, come watch this movie and it's not launching a franchise. You don't have to have watched three different Marvel TV shows beforehand to understand the characters. You just get to watch it. I mean, there's not, there's not going to be Oppenheimer's Revenge. <laughs> or Oppenheimer with a vengeance, you know? <laughs> what more can he do to the world? <laughs> Um, I think we're living Hoppenheimer's wow. revenge. You know? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's interesting, Julian, you say that, is that you know, the original properties that aren't um, promising franchises are doing well. But it's so funny because you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was the building the cinematic universe is what's going to draw audiences in it. And obviously it did for Marvel for so long. And it's funny then that the thing that Marvel created has come around to sort of bite them in the bottom because they've they've created this world where it feels like homework to watch all the shows and to keep up with the continuity and canon. Um, meanwhile, people just want to watch a good story. And it worked for a while, but now it's sort of got too much. 
think yeah, the big again. issue is quantity, I would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, when you have two movies a year, that's easy to keep up with. But when you have two movies a year, plus three shows, plus an animated series, plus some prequel comics sometimes I'll throw in. Yeah. And then in the case of Star Wars, you've got bloody games you have to play, normal <laughs> uh, novels you have to read. It's madness. It is. It is. And you know why Iron Man succeeded? Because mm. it was good. Yeah, that's a good movie. <laughs> that's true. It's just on its own. It's a good movie. Yeah. Um, you know, Robert Downey Jr. was perfectly cast. Um, and it was something the audience had never really seen before in the uh, parts of it were ad-libbed. Um, and it was... Uh, a comic book movie uh, that was that was dealing with big, heavy socio-political stuff. Mm. Um, mm. So was the Dark Knight trilogy, you know. Yeah. But it was having so much fun with it, you know. And uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr., a man whose career at that point was mm. washed up, um, and. Uh, it was. It took people by surprise. Um, don't forget. Uh, I found this amazing article from. Uh, I, I think that it would have been about two thousand and ten. Um, basically, moaning about um, unknowns being cast as Thor <laughs> and Loki. Not really. Um, yeah. Um, these movies made stars of these actors. Um, mm. It's funny. Yesterday, I was doing a podcast, my podcast with Snay on my like your movies, and we we're talking about um, Simi Liu, who made a cameo appearance on top of a sitcom we were watching. And mm. I don't know about you guys, but my my Twitter feed is always filled with um, hate for Simi Liu. And some of that, I think he's he's attracted some heat because he's like, you know, gotten some Twitter wars and beefs with people and stuff, and that's you know, whatever. But the other thing is that I think they be quite earnest about being in a Marvel movie and was quite interested in it. And I, I posited that his his problem perhaps in the media, in that 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 sense of my my timeline doesn't like him much, is that he like was cast in a Marvel movie like the minute they become uncool. Like when when Shang Chi came out, that was like the moment people were like, Oh, we're over this stuff and he's there still trying to like make it into a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, poor fella. I think, in some ways. I do pity him in that respect. Yeah, because um, as you said, made stars of, of Hemsworth, Hilston, um, Chris, other Chris Evans. But I think that it comes back to the point that you made there, Dylan. It's just volume. Um, mm. yeah. And I think that's actually true of a lot of pop culture um, in that it's much more disposable than it used to be. Um you know, why the, I, I have this moment whenever a Netflix series comes out of, uh, I'm going to wait and see whether it gets a second season before I, mm. before I invest oh, yeah. time. That's not how it's meant to work. Um, now you're supposed to watch and, it and then it gets a, people like it, word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah. But things get cancelled two days two, after they're two, released. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and the sheer volume of crap that's being made, like, I, like, 
sorry to come back to Star Wars, Solo, you know, leaving aside the fact that I don't think anybody really needed a movie about how Solo got his name, <laughs> um, it was less than six months after um, the previous Star Wars movie, and the reason that folks went in droves to see The Force Awakens was because it had been ten years. Mm. Uh with uh, the Phantom Menace, it had been over twenty years. That's right. Um, you know, I guess, I guess, I miss. I'm going to sound like I'm a bazillion years old here, but I miss the days when a movie or a TV show was an event. Hmm. Sure. Uh, I mean, we, we've gotten off the topic of canon, but uh, I. It does kind of. It, it, I do kind of wonder, like, if they reboot Wonder Woman, and it's not successful, they're just going to do it again in three years. Well, that's. You, I think you're on the, the the concept of of content as opposed to events, there, Julian. That, that's probably why Barbie and Oppenheim was so popular too, because it felt like a, an important cultural event, not just yeah. yet another movie to go watch or TV show to consume to keep up with everything else. And and Barbenheimer, yes, um, the the unique experience of watching the two movies back to back, as a communal event, um, you know the audience, the cinemas were packed, and there is something about being in a cinema uh, with a bunch of other people sitting in the dark. Um, and you all laugh at the same moments. Mm. You all yell out at the same moments. You know what the best cinematic experience I ever had was? Mm. The Simpsons movie. <laughs> there you go. You know why? Because I was in an audience. At the cinema was absolutely packed. And you know what? It was in um, Morayfield. And... Um, uh, the audience there did not hold back and their feelings and their running commentary of the movie. They were like laughing out loud. They were booing. Um, um, at the end, everyone got up and cheered. And man, that's just an amazing experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, dare I say it, Julian, that's some sort of religious-like experience being in a, in a group of people and laughing and cheering and, watching something that's giant on a screen that kind of feels like you're, you know, you're being told a story. If we take it back to our earlier discussion about, about canon and text, right. text, yeah. And this is why, and this is why I love studying mythology and why I love studying, I love learning about different religions. I don't have to believe in it for it to be amazing. Mm. I mm. just need to lose myself in the story, mm. you know? And uh, I, but you know, I, I also want to just to play devil's advocate. I can actually see the value sometimes in having continuity, mm. um, because and in having a canon, um, because you don't want to make fun of your audience for caring. Yeah. Um, mm. that's part of the reason why I didn't love the fourth Matrix movie. Um, is because it felt like they were making fun of the audience uh, for for caring about Neo and Trinity. Um, 
all of these silly things about about nostalgia it just didn't fit um mm. and i was sitting there going this is a movie about a movie yeah um, very very strange experience that one we might have to get you back on for the christina chronicles when we do that <laughs> one julian because christina oh, ritchie's yes. there <laughs> okay we'll pencil, oh wow we'll pencil that in yeah i'd love to do that um speaking um, of that I, go no you go you go julian finish off look i there's, there is something amazing, too, about the integrity of something that's a sole-authored product, a yeah. sole-authored mm. um, story, um, because you do have the feeling of connecting with the mind of another human being. I don't think anybody but Neil Gaiman could have written The Sandman. Oh, um, Agreed. And the sense of voice... And integrity of the voice um, is such an awesome experience. Mm. And this is why I'm really glad that there haven't been spin-offs of the Sandman comics that I'm aware of that didn't have Neil Gaiman's uh, involvement. Yeah, I mean, they brought him into DC proper for a bit, but he wasn't in there for long, so we can pretend <laughs> yeah. that didn't happen. <laughs> Well, let's think the Sandman doesn't really fit into the rest of the DC universe. Um, no. You know, cool. they've got John Constantine in the early comics. I love the in the adaptation for Netflix, they've got Joanna Constantine. Um, completely new character. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Does away. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I can think of other things as well. Um, um the Lord of the Rings, um, people love connecting with the books um, and the sole authorship of the books, and they, they, like, the books will always be the canon for me, like, it will always, like, I, this is why I really love adaptation, because you can get so many different interpretations of, of, mm the content and i know that it's fine to have completely weird stuff because you know what the book's there it's sitting on the shelf nothing's gonna hurt it exactly <laughs> well on that on that topic i've got one more case study to do here if, if you guys have a bit more time yeah sure. um friends so this isn't a a um a universe where we have time travel or space travel or crisis and multiple earths they can resolve continuity issues yet sure. as a long-running show with multiple writers um over multiple years some inconsistencies were, were brought up in that show now i've got a couple here for you now i guess my question is as you're saying julian it's good to have a a um a text with a consistent authorial voice but tv shows don't necessarily have that they have showrunners but sometimes things can slip through and so, like, wondering how you guys can, can square these errors, all right? So I've got a couple here for you. Mm -hmm. So TV Tropes tells us that Chandler and Rachel are shown interacting in Thanksgiving flashbacks in their teen years and hanging out with the girls. And apparently they even made out in college, but in the pilot, they're introduced as total strangers. How does that make sense? It can't. Um, Phoebe has multiple birthdays. In season three, she tells her half-brother her birthday is uh, February 15, but in series nine, the gang 
are celebrating it on Halloween. That uh, you can contribute to just Phoebe being quirky. Yeah. And also yeah. maybe she just hates her sister so much that she doesn't even want to acknowledge that she's born on the same day as her. Yeah. Yep, that's fair enough. Yep. What about this one, mate? Early on, it is established that Ross's ex-wife, Carol, is the first person he ever slept with. And thus, his only partner up until the divorce. But in a later series, we're told he slept with the cleaning lady when he was in college. Um, Monica, Monica and Ross's childhood dog, Chi-Chi, changes sex almost every time it's mentioned as well. Um, also, Phoebe you know, is a professional guitar player. Um, she's talking to somebody and she knows the real names of the chords, but then several seasons later, she's teaching Joey and she's made up her own names for the, for the chords and the guitar. <laughs> Again, Phoebe, maybe she's just being funny or quirky or whatever. Um, I guess you could say that, that Ross was lying at some point about his sexual past or wrote a, wrote his own history to make it look better or worse for himself. The dog he could be a joke, of... I suppose. Yeah, I, th- I can see Ross kind of going, yeah, that doesn't count. Yeah, exactly. Um, like he's doing his own headcanon already. Just like he was saying, you know, we're on a break. We're not on a break. Yeah. Um, yeah, he can rationalise it. He's very good at that. Yeah. I think that uh, with uh, with uh, Chandler and um, Rachel, mm. they're just very self-absorbed people. Yeah. Um, mm, and true. and particularly particularly Rachel has a terrible memory. Mm. Um, and uh, I. I don't know. Uh, that's that's the only thing I can think of, um, and I'm yeah. kind of happy to go with that. And so that's the thing. I, I guess it doesn't really matter because these sort of things don't change the fundamental aspects of the show, and you know who cares really. But it, it's interesting to me that that these things can crop up over the years, and we can just wave it away. So then it's like, how important is canon then? What do you reckon, Dylan? What do you think about these these friends issues? Well, I think it's 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 kind of a show that also doesn't put a great stake on a big long running narrative mm. either. So I think that's why it's kind of okay to just you know shove it aside. It's not this big drama filled world. It's just a, a sitcom. Yeah, mm. I think that. Uh... TV shows like Friends are a bit more disposable as a form of entertainment, and you kind of show up to spend time with the characters um, uh, more than more than the continuity. Um, as a counterpoint, though, um, How I Met Your Mother, mm. um, very similar show in terms of tone um, and characters, uh, but it really did lean very heavily on continuity. Um, and yeah. canon. Um, well, I mean, kind of had to. That's its whole premise, basically. Yeah. Is we're getting Correct. to a specific ending that we're promised. And here's the truth about what happens, yeah. And uh, there are moments in that where um, there, there, there is one thing that bugs me every time I see it. It's uh, uh, Ted, the architect, builds his first skyscraper for the first time twice on the show. Um, and it's a major storyline, um, both times, and I'm just like, I can't believe no one spotted that. Uh, yeah, that is strange, that one. And, and then of course, oh, here's a good example of canon, um, the final episode of How I Met Your Mother, um, there are two completely different versions of it, 
Um, no, there's not. There's uh, one. It's uh, where they meet, and then Bob Saget does a little narration that he was happy that he met the mother, and then that's it. What are you talking about? <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So there's a wrong it's and a right. Of, <laughs> it's like how there's only three Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> Um, which version do you prefer? Well, now you can choose. Mm. <laughs> um, I don't like the fact that, um, spoiler warning, but the revelation that this character we've been waiting to meet all this time and is the love of, the, of Ted's life. Oh, she died. Oh, no, no. The story that you thought you were being told, yeah, that, that wasn't real. Uh... You know, this is actually the story of how Ted's working up the guts to ask out Robin um, in the distant future. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> What's wrong with you people? And I'm, my reaction was the same as yours, Dylan. Um, I, I like the Bob Saget version better. Absolutely. I mean, I, this seems like the kind of thing they do if they introduce the mother character and she didn't live up to all these expectations. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. But she did. She was great. She was everything yeah. we thought she'd be and more. She's perfect for Ted. But then they went ahead and they just did the Robin ending anyway. Yeah. And I really, I really hate the fact that, you know, Barney and Robin apparently got together and all of this, this wedding and all of their character development. Nah, they're always selfish people. Um, <laughs> Uh, we'll just completely walk back all the character development in one episode. It's just... Ugh. Anyway. So yeah, so in that sense, the the canon there is the character development. No, it's not so much the, the facts that they talk about. It's um something more fundamental to the characters that has been transgressed to there. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, look, I... Um... I am willing to forgive an awful lot when it comes to uh, television. If you break the character, actually with storytelling generally, mm. if you break the character, you've broken a contract with the audience, with the, mm. the reader, the viewer, whatever. And if the audience is punished for caring, mm. that's not okay. Right. Uh that's where I that that's where that's where I start going. I don't like this one bit, and I will throw my chair at the TV screen. Oh no! <laughs> All right, fellas, thanks for this. I think we've um come to the end of the case studies. I'm going to go back to the questions, and hopefully we can um talk about what we learnt today. All right. So, Dylan, how important is canon and continuity in fiction? Again, I think it depends on the universe. If it's a if it's a large, sprawling world like a Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, where there's just so much rich history to it as well, then it's pretty important. I would say. Mm -hmm. um, if it's something like Friends and it's basically set in the real world in normal New York, you already know the canon for that. It's our history, <laughs> <Sure>. basically. <laughs> So, I don't think it's that important there. Uh, I think it, its context is key, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, Julian, what are the advantages or affordances of canon? I don't know what affordances means, but um, <laughs> the 
<laughs> Sorry, I probably should have raised that earlier. Um, <laughs> advantages. Um, um, it's easier for the audience to connect um, with a story if they are not going to have the rug pulled out of them within five minutes. Um, okay. And uh, it's easier for the to it's it's easier to um experience the story if there is it, it's easier to enjoy the story if it's a cohesive whole mm. uh and certainly that's easier with a sole authored work than with many people mm-hmm. and by affordances i mean like what can we do with it what, what what does it give us the opportunity to do so i think you kind of explained that there too um okay jillian second for you who decides what is canon and what isn't? Man, I'm going to give a really unsatisfactory answer here and say, um, I don't think there's a definite answer. Um, I, I will always consider what the creator intended. I don't reject it. Um, but that's as important as the audience thinks it is. Mm. Um, and, uh, as in the case of Star Wars, um, uh, it kind of doesn't matter, um, what the, what the creator intended. Ultimately, meaning is kind of created by the, by the audience. Um, and going back to our earlier discussion, yonks ago, about the meaning of life, meaning is something that you create and that you kind of when you're enjoying a story you almost negotiate meaning uh between yourself Mm. the audience members around you and with the with the author um but you know what there's room for individual responses as well so That's what I'd say, Julian. I think there's a negotiation there. There's, there's like an offer from the writer, but then you come to it too and you negotiate which bits you agree with, what you, what works, what doesn't. Um, and just because it's what the author has said what they meant doesn't mean that's what you have to think, but I think you should definitely keep in mind that there, there's always intention intentions in a creative work. It's not just... Um, it's not always just something that's been put on, on the page or on the screen by accident there's there's definitely something to, to, to be taken yeah uh, oh, there you go oh just thinking you know going back to our earlier conversation about indiana jones yeah george lucas says that young indiana jones is canon but he also said that indy slept with Marion when she was only a kid and hmm. i hate that yep same. i truly ha- i truly hate that and i just pretend that that's not a thing um <laughs> as we all I should can, uh, maybe, maybe Marion was not being literal when she says I was a child. She she was a a teenage girl in her twenties, as they as they say online these days. <laughs> um, yeah, that 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 bit is very odd. I don't like that. Um, so I I have negotiated that to be not true. Agreed. Um, Dylan, the last question for you. Okay, the, the big one, the final one. You got to finish it all up for us, okay? Mm. What happens when we become too obsessed with canon? It's uh, it can ruin your experience mm. if you become too obsessed. Mm-hmm. Like I cannot imagine what it would be like 
if you knew every single canon part of Star Wars. It cannot be enjoyable anymore. Like, every time you go back and watch those original movies, where they made a fucking comic book out of every single line in that movie, your head would explode. You'd just be all these memories of, oh, bloody hell, uh, he made the cancel run, that's that whole solo movie. Two seconds of that. <laughs> the whole solo movie's running through your head. Yeah. It's madness. It'd be a full-time job keeping track of Star Wars continuity, wouldn't it? Absolutely. There is, in fact, a man who has that job. Yeah, wow. Um, is so it's his job to keep track of it all and try and make sense out of it? Yeah. Hmm, interesting. That's yes. part of his job. Okay. I agree, Dylan. I think it can get in the way of enjoyment, and I, I think we'd all be better served by, by Julian's approach of, you know, take it as it comes and don't be too obsessed about every aspect and if it's a good thing it's a good thing it doesn't have to be connected sometimes it is but that's not the thing that can make a a piece of work um interesting and worthwhile all right i think we've sorted that one out guys we've done a good job we've worked out how to sort out canon um i've got some interesting links i'll put in the show notes from tv tropes um wikipedia and we'll be tracking down some of those other videos that i they watched today and you guys have a look at um Julian, is there anything you wanna wanna um, plug or talk about or get amongst it suggestion? Well, you can always find me um, on Facebook um, and uh, on my website, mm-hmm. uh, jbarauthor.com, J B A R A U T H O R dot com. Um, and look, I I always forget to get amongst it. But you know what? I'm gonna throw on throw one out there for um, Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves. Okay. Um, it was a really solid movie. Uh, nothing groundbreaking. Nothing particularly um, uh, innovative. It was just fun. A really well written, funny um, movie with great effects, and it deserves more love than it got. Okay, cool. I didn't get around to it, so I think I will have to do it now, based on your recommendation. You haven't seen us wrong yet, have you? Well, that remains to be seen. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for coming aboard today, Julian, and giving us such interesting topic, giving um, giving us so much to talk about. It's been great. Yeah, no worries. Um, and thank you for having me. Oh, you're always welcome. You know, on a Sunday evening, if you if you're bored, let us know. We'll send you the link. You just come on. Jump in any time. <laughs> um, Cheers. Anything else you want to say, Dylan, about Canon, about Julian, about the show? No. Julian's <laughs> the man, and Canon is fun, except when it's not. That's a very good way of putting it. Um, Dylan, what's our back catalogue like? Can we find it? Are we on socials? Oh. Mate, they can find their back catalogue anywhere. Hundreds, literally hundreds of episodes you'll find. We're everywhere, on every podcast app you can imagine. We're on Instagram, Facebook, X sometimes. We have our own website. And uh, we also want to thank Mark the Man for the theme song. Amazing stuff. Uh, one last thing I want to say, guys, is that it's always going to be jizz to me. I'm never calling it anything else apart from that. Yeah. Um, I hope you guys can take that vow with me. Yeah, I understand. Sure, Lonnie. <laughs> For you. 
Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much again, Julian. I'm going to say I miss you, man, to Dylan. And I'll say I miss you, man, to both of you. Oh, I'm going to uh, say to Julian especially now, I miss you, Julian. Uh, only because I said it first. <laughs> <laughs> I miss you guys too. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.